Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Early Line right here on SportsGrid. I'm Dane Martinez. He's Kevin Walsh, and we are cock-a-doodle doing it, giving you all the news and notes, everything you need to know in the sports world, and also how to make a little bit of extra money on the side from what you are seeing in the sports world. And, Kevin, I mean, one of the main things we were talking about all week long were these leagues and their kind of plans to return. Right. Mm -hmm. We've seen some things about the NBA, whether they're being quarantined, whether they're going to go to the playoffs or not. But really, I think the headline has been in Major League Baseball, Kevin, you know, because the owners have come up with a proposal and now it's kind of in the players camp. And we've been hearing grumblings that, you know, the players aren't exactly happy about it, starting with former Cy Young Award winner Blake Snell. He -hmm. was out there in essence saying like, "Whoa." I ain't playing for less money, you know? So I think, you know, we may be in store here for a little bit of acrimony back and forth before we get players back on the field. Yeah, and let's just specifically talk uh, briefly about these Blake Snell comments because as per usual, people attacking players in these player versus owner battles, which is always weird why people think that they relate more to billionaire owners than these players, but okay. But one of the, the comments is basically that um, he's making a fool of himself by saying, oh, you're asking me to risk my life. Right. I can't do it for that amount of money. And people are saying, well, it has to be one or the other, which is preposterous. Mm-hmm. Has, has nobody here ever played the, hey, would you risk your life for a million dollars? No. Well, what about 10? Like, right, these right. are the hypotheticals that people go through all of the time. Like, the reality is, like, people might say, oh, my life doesn't have a price. First of all, there's people who are clearly showing that they'd risk their life to get haircuts out there. Okay. Right. But or to like, drive a bus or to get minimum wage in a grocery store. So, like, the, 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 the reality for, for Blake Snell is that if he's going to be getting his full contract, it's, it's risk management. It's figuring right. out what works best for him. And this, this, this idea that it has to be all or nothing. Either you make all the concessions or you, do, or you do nothing, right? Like this idea that it's always players being asked for the love of the game, for the love of the sport. They very much so obviously love this game and love this sport. But it's the owners who have been trying to make it abundantly clear the only way that we will see baseball is if it is financially responsible for them. When the players make even somewhat of a similar stance Right. They are they are torn to shreds, and it is infuriating. We come right back to what I've been saying for the last two weeks, right? The devil is in the details. And all of a sudden now, when it's actually coming to pass and people are saying, oh, wait, I have to take this hit? Or, oh, wait, this is going to affect me? We're starting to see people, you know, kind of stop dead in their tracks and understand as soon as it gets closer to home, it's not all Shangri-La anymore. But another thing I thought was interesting is, You know, we talked about it yesterday, Kevin, this idea that, you know, time is not on their side, right? If they do want to actually play for, say, July 4th um, and they want to have a spring training 2.0, they're going to need to ratify this deal or come to an agreement with all parties pretty soon. And so I guess one thing I was encouraged by, at least, Kev, is that, you know, Manfred is still saying that he's confident they will ultimately come to a deal. It's almost like there's too much at stake, right, Kevin? No, I think that's a good point, right? Like the optics of them not being able to get this done, we've talked about, uh, you know, here on the early line. It's really bad. It is really bad. 
for the holdup to not end up being the coronavirus, but to be the negotiations between these two sides. And, and they, baseball does not want that. Now, due to Rob Manfred's track record, I mean, I'd rather, it's good that he says positive things than negative things, because if he says sure. negative things, then we're really uh, in the dark. But, you know, it's not necessarily the most inspiring of things. One of the really interesting things, because with, with this whole back and forth here, is people are trying to figure out whether – um, this is true, whether the owners and their asking of the players to take, you know, half of half of half right. um, is actually necessary. And one of the um, things that we heard from Manfred is that he says the owners stand to lose um, around $4 billion. Billion is, with a B. Which is no small price. Sure. With that being said, though, I just took the, you know, quick little math. Um, I almost made math way more complicated, but then I realized you can just use averages. Um, the league average payroll is about 135 million. I use the exact number, okay. but I'm just ballparking because uh, right. I don't remember the exact numbers. Sure. So you multiply that by 30, it gets you to a shade over four billion dollars, which is every team combines right. payrolls about a little bit more than four billion. Sure. But we've already agreed to prorate, so half of that is a little bit more than two billion dollars right. league wide. In payroll now, I don't know if these are conne as connected as I would think. But if they're going to lose four billion by not playing, then does that mean that they keep that four billion if they play? Because then, if the payroll total for the league is about two billion dollars, right. right? Then there's still about a little less than. I'm being fair here, but a little less than two billion dollars gained by the owners. I'm sure that that is not normal profit margins, but kind of connecting these dots, Dane, the idea that they cannot put a season on without mm -hmm. the players conceding more right. does not seem to be true. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And you're doing that math, though, only on salaries. You know, here's the thing, right? Owners have other costs as well if they do put on the season. Right. I don't know. The utility bill to put on the lights at Yankee Stadium costs something. Right. Whatever skeleton staff or janitor staff or cleaning, whatever. You know, there's other costs than just player salaries. And I don't know exactly how it balances out. But yes, at least the owners are claiming that they would lose more money doing this without fans. And that's why they're trying to go back to the table, as opposed to what Tony Clark and the player union would say that, you know, they've already agreed to this kind of prorated on just the, based on the number of games alone. Another thing that I thought was interesting in this kind of update, what we're learning more from Manfred and Major League Baseball is this idea of what happens if someone tests positive. Because we were talking about this all week long, right, Kevin? The idea that variance is going to be there. And in the NBA playoffs, someone's going to test positive. Or in a Major League Baseball season, someone's going to test positive. And I think what has to happen is they have to do it in a way that it doesn't shut the league down. Right, like Rudy Gobert shut the NBA down when we didn't really know about this virus. They have to, if they're going to return to play, whatever plan that's in place has to be there, you know, and can handle when players do, in fact, test positive. And it sounds like we learned a little bit more of the details, right, Kevin, on what MLB will do. It seems yeah. like it's not a normal quarantine, but they're changing it a little bit, maybe to be even more efficient, but safe at the same time. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the appropriate pro, uh, approach. Mm -hmm. But their plan is that they will not be doing a 14-day quarantine. Right. However, they're going to look to have um, the tested positive player register two negative tests twice mm -hmm. in a 24-hour window, and then they believe that they will be able to uh, allow that player back. Now, 
Um, I'm sure that they're basing that off of some, you know, health officials' advice. Right. I'm not sure if it's the best move, though. Because, one, you're, you're now increasing the amount of tests that you need. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's a little short-sighted. As well as, I don't know why you're going to just ignore the 14-day quarantine. Right. I'm not sure, like, from jump, if that should be the plan. It, it does sound... A, a big yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I know in other viruses, right, you could test test negative, but that's because it takes maybe three or four days for it to manifest itself in your body before you would show up positive. So that's why I think the time period is interesting. But I am not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. So we can only hope that they are going off of the best advice of medical officials. But I do think it's interesting. At least the commissioner does seem to think that we will get this done, whatever the back and forth is with the money, with the policies, with the universal DH with the realignment that we will get it actually done and that's good because hopefully that means we will have baseball sometime in the year of 2020. Now Kevin, the other thing we've been talking about are kind of these moving pieces in the NFL market, right? That some players are getting signed, some players are not. But what's interesting to me, Kevin, is in this in a normal year, this is the time that coaches hate the most the time between kind of the draft or whatever and once OTAs get started right once we get those guys back in the building then we have structure for them right and this is their practice schedule this is their weightlifting schedule this is what you eat but when sometimes players don't have structure and left to their own devices they also wind up behaving in ways that get them ineligible or suspended and it looks like there's not one but two cornerbacks in the NFL who uh, hit the police blotter this week right Kevin first was DeAndre Baker of the New York Giants yeah, this is a mess. Like, this isn't, like, small, petty stuff. Um, four counts of armed robbery and four counts of armed aggravated assault of for not only DeAndre Baker of the New York Giants, but also Quinton Dunbar of the right. Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I guess we can start with DeAndre Baker. He was supposed to be the Giants' second corner this year uh, behind James uh, Bradbury. They drafted this guy in the first round. They came back up in round one to take right, him. He's year. now, okay. I think this is now supposed to be year three for him, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Or maybe year two or three. I, I can't remember, actually. You could be, maybe last year was his rookie year. Um, maybe it is year two. I think you're actually right. Um, nevertheless, though, they were expecting, you know, him to try and take a leap forward uh, as, you know, the corner out of Georgia. And, I, I mean, you look at this and it's, like, he might be in jail for, if this is, you know, and you read yeah, the we don't know. Report, um, I mean, yeah, like, you know, we are obviously like, we'll see, but like, I mean, he could be in jail for the next 10 years. Like, and this so- is a problem because we knew the Giants were a cornerback needy team, right? They yes. went out and spent the money in the offseason for Bradbury out of Carolina. And that just speaks mm-hmm. to the fact that they need secondary help. And so if Baker goes down, it clearly would hurt this Giants defense that tried to get reinforcements in the offseason. What about Quentin Dunbar out in Seattle? So Quentin Dunbar's really um, could really hurt Seattle here in a way. So he was actually last year Pro Football Focus's number two graded corner, right behind Richard Sherman. Then uh, Washington uh, decided to trade him for, I believe, a fifth-round pick. And at the time, real head-scratching move, could have got more. Also, why are you getting rid of corner talent? We've talked a couple of times about uh, how much they need cornerback talent in Washington. Seattle you know, brings on Quentin Dunbar. Uh, and of course, he's going to be able to come in right away and compete again, coming off uh, an amazing season. And now he is in this same exact boat here. And I mean, I know we're still far away. And, you know, one of the interesting things is we've talked about corners being out there, but these are two mm-hmm. guys that were certainly 
meant to be big contributors to their teams. And forget this year. I mean, they, yeah. you know, like just based on the, what the reports, you know, are saying, like, I mean, they may never have, you know, football careers again. So definitely something we will keep our eye on. And I'm just telling football fans out there, this is the time of year when coaches are like, hey, just keep your nose clean before we get to OTAs and all that stuff. But what about this, Kevin? The fact that there isn't OTAs this year, right, or the time when people can gather will be maybe a little bit later on in the season. Maybe, you know, that's, that puts more of these players at risk when they're left to their own devices. Clearly. Clearly, it's dangerous. I guess. I mean, I, I don't. Guess. I've I've never. Well, I've never had free time and and proceeded to commit armed robbery. Right. Like that's, that's never happened. In you would so think. Right. You would think they don't need that hand holding. Right. But unfortunately, like yeah. we have seen this happen year in year out, and it's a very interesting uh, layer. The fact that it's going to be happening for a while longer because it's going to take you know maybe until our summer months, until these teams are actually together. When we come back, Kevin, on the early line, I want to shine a light on one team specifically in the NFL and how they may be having problems the same way as the common man having to pay rent. We'll get into that on the other side of the break. It's Dane and Kevin. It's the early line right here on SportsGrid. Come on back after this. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back in, everybody. This is the early line on Sports Grid. I'm Dane. He's Kevin. And we're touring you around the world of sports, trying to make you a little bit of extra cash this weekend. You know, Kevin, somebody that did get some cash or used to have cash was Todd Gurley, right? But, you know, the financial wall started to close in, and ultimately the Rams had to cut him. You know what's interesting? We were just talking about in the last segment how this time of year players are kind of left to their own devices uh, when league business is going on. I find it interesting, Kevin, one piece of league business that has yet to fully happen is uh, Todd Gurley hasn't taken a physical yet with the Atlanta Falcons. You know, um, yeah. Dirk Butter came out. Uh, earlier this week and said, like, hey, the main question, no one seems to know, what is his health status? I think that's incredible. I think that's so interesting. We've been talking about guys like Tua Tagovailoa and Cam Newton, and we don't know if they're healthy. It seems like the Falcons took their shot with Todd Gurley without having the full picture of information of what his health is. Is this a 10-carry back? Is this a 20-carry hmm. back? Is he going to be the bell cow? Does Ito Smith still need to be owned in fantasy leagues? What do you think about this and the fact that it's still unknown or it hasn't happened yet? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, are they not allowed to get in there? Do both sides right. just agree it's all right? I think when you look at the contract that Gurley got, I think certainly the injury history is, is somewhat baked in. Sure. And if he fails the physical, then they don't have to pay him. And it wouldn't be a scenario where that it'd be, oh, shame on you, Atlanta. It'd be like, listen, you always have to take a physical before you get paid. And unfortunately, the physical was pushed back. And in terms of, well, where does that leave them at running back? Look, everyone's going to look to draft Edo Smith in the top three rounds or so, all of a sudden. Uh, or they'll just turn themselves to the litany of running backs that we've listed kind of throughout free agency. And then we'll have to start to wonder, you know, how did Todd Gurley fail this physical? Is his career over? Is it just he needs another surgery? And that would then open up a whole other can of worms. 
Yeah, it absolutely would. You know, but I just find it interesting. We've been talking about pressing the flesh, you know, and having to see these guys. And, you know, obviously, I don't think he's going to fail the physical, but you kind of need to know what you have in your RB1. Ultimately, do you think Gurley will serve as a quasi-bell cow for the Falcons? Or do you think it'll be another one of these kind of big-time committees where there's multiple guys getting shares of the action? I think that he has the potential to serve as as that bell cow just based on the competition okay. around him. And I think that a bell cow for this Falcons offense, considering the passing attack that they have, is probably not as much as what it maybe was uh, when he was with the Rams. Hmm. With that being said, I just I don't know if he has the ability to do that. And I don't know if the Falcons will, you know, I think that these Falcons should be just trying to look at the play it smart. You know, this is an Atlanta team, Dane, a couple of times when their name has come up throughout these, you know, scheduled right. breakdowns. I've they've not they're not always in awful spots. Like, you know, there's a couple times there where you could see yourself getting behind this Falcons team. And yeah, I think that they are one of the more intriguing teams for this coming season. I got to tell you something. I think the NFC South is one of the more intriguing divisions, you yeah. know, overall. Because Atlanta, you know, they're kind of that team that's always around. Like, on any given season, I can see them going 10-6, and six, and I can see them going 6-10, and 10, mm -hmm. depending on how they go. You know the Saints are going to be there. Everybody's excited about the Bucks, And I think Carolina is going to be a little bit better than most people think. I'm very intrigued by that division. We're going to go into the South next week, the AFC and the NFC South, when we do our roster resets. But I bring up Todd Gurley. Kevin, because, you know, there's another interesting piece of news around Todd Gurley and another former Ram that leads into a story. You know, I started hearing last week Todd Gurley saying that he hasn't still gotten like his bonus or his last payment from the Rams. And that was interesting to me. And then I heard, I think it was Clay Matthews, say the same thing, that he was still owed money by the Rams. And, you know, here in New York, for about the better part of a decade, it's been the, it's been a conversation around the Mets, right? Like that the Wilpons don't have money because they got they got swindled by Bernie Madoff. And are they like running the Mets as a bargain basement team? And now I was starting to hear these things about, you know, Todd Gurley not getting his last payment, Clay Matthews not getting his last payment. And there was a report out of the athletic uh yesterday. Kevin, that I think is very, very interesting. We keep our eyes on the Rams and their financial situation. As you know, Kevin, they are building that brand new stadium, SoFi, out there in Los Angeles, where the Chargers will also be a tenant. But it seems like the Rams have taken out, or Stan Kroenke, their owner, has taken out another, get this, half a billion dollars in another loan to continue the financing of this stadium. And it seems like he's also asked to be able to pay off this loan, not over the course of uh, 15 years, which is, I guess, the norm when you have a loan at this level, but over 30 years. And part of the investigative journalism here is that, and it makes sense here, Kevin, that they were relying on attendance and, and the gate and concessions and some of the revenue that they would get from this big first year in a new stadium to help pay down the debts and the loans that they accumulated for, you know, the cost of the stadium. But now they're not going to have that because by all accounts, we believe that there's going to be no fans in the stands, at least at the start of the NFL. So, you know, we talk about in Major League Baseball how that's a hit, an additional hit for the owners. But in the NFL, Kroenke was you know, relying on those gates to start to pay down the debt for the new stadium. This could be a big-time issue for Kroenke and the Rams. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure that they thought that this could kind of be uh, a big attraction for, yeah. for people around L.A., but also uh, a destination for people that make the trip. Oh, I'd love to go check out the stadium. Right. And, yeah, I mean, we are seeing... You know, and then I'll, I'll say, like, it's not... 
that I am naive to the fact that this is going to hurt owners as well, right? It's a matter right. of like they should be able to withstand certain things. Now, I mean, this situation here, you're in the middle of a, you know, I believe you said it was what, a two billion dollar project that is now yeah. going to get more than it's doubled, to like five billion. Yeah, it's crazy. Right, like it's like obviously none of these are 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 small numbers. Right. Um, but also, for sure, pay Todd Gurley his money. There's no excuses to be had when it comes to that. Like, for sure, give Clay Matthews his bonus. Like, you right. owe him that but I'm money. saying, if they're in such a pinch that they're holding out, like, final payouts to athletes, and, and you know, we talk about athletes, oh, my God, millions of dollars, what they're making. But, you know, it, relatively speaking to the owners, you know, they find that in their couch cushions. You know what I mean? <laughs> so if they need to be stingy for that, uh, to me, it signals that there may be an issue here. When I come, when you think about the financing and the idea of the construction, this I don't think these stadiums are finished yet. And where's you know California still staying at home? I wonder. Right. I wonder how this is going to play out for the Rams, for the Chargers, you know, and for the Raiders too on some level, right? The Raiders stadium was also supposed to be a tourist attraction, right? Road fans coming in all the time well guess what people aren't taking their their nice little weekend trip to vegas in fall of 2020 given the context of covid yeah and i also don't you know some we have to kind of get used to the idea that maybe california in terms of hosting any type of sporting right. events for this calendar year is not in the cards we right. actually didn't bring it up but in that bob uh, nightingale piece is we got more information surrounding you know the ideas around baseball is that if you can't play in your home state, they're going to try and go maybe probably, you know, closer states to you. Yeah. And California has five baseball teams. Right. Five different baseball teams. Dodgers, Giants, Angels, Padres, and uh, the Oakland Athletics. So mm -hmm. that's like no small thing. Like if we're going to do sure. a West only, right, a, a West only West without division, California. That's you're going to have the Mariners and the Diamondbacks, right? And that's like about it. And exactly. the Rockies. Like yeah. So you're, you're, you're looking at a situation there where, and like California just, it doesn't seem like they're going to be a part of, of this equation when it comes to figuring out how they restart these sporting events. And, you know, that's what California seemingly has to do. That's okay. But I don't know if the, the I feel like to some degree, the leagues are not accepting of it to the degree that they should be yet. You know, I, I'm just going to reiterate it. The devil is in the details, right? And we've already seen this with the state of California. We know they are going to be kind of extra cautious. They were on the front end of this. It looks like they will be on the back end of this. And they've already had no problem, you know, kind of, you know, stiff arming the sports world, right? When it came to UFC 249, yeah. Dana White wanted it to happen. And Gavin Newsom was like, nope. It ain't going down. So all these proposals could happen, but I do think it just speaks again to the fact that it needs to be a collaborative effort, you know, from these players and the owners and our networks and our governments and other constituents as well, the families of players, the fans themselves. And so, you know, um, any element of a plan that doesn't consider all of the audiences may have a problem, you know, when you get a little bit further down the tracks, whether that person is, you know, a governor or Blake Snell or, you know, the wife of Mike Trout who just had a baby and is like, no, man, you ain't going into the Truman Show bubble for three months and risking something, you know, so I think we still have to you know, figure it out. And as time goes on, I do believe in the month of May, as we continue here on SportsGrid, we are going to start to hear more and more details. And the problem is, it ain't going to make everybody happy. You know, but the UFC was not happy when they had to change from California over to Jacksonville. But they have had multiple cards last week. We talked about UFC 249. We talked about Glover Teixeira, uh, middle of the week. And tonight, Kevin, there is another 
UFC Fight Night card. I want to ask you about, first of all, in the main event, I hear that Harris, he's got a little bit of an issue going on, right? Isn't, like, his daughter missing? I think it's a, it's a whole backstory. Now, I haven't paid super close attention to it. There was a, a piece done on the whole thing, but I, I actually believe it was, um, I don't know if it was his daughter or his stepdaughter was like, maybe kidnapped and, and has passed away. Like, the whole, it's a super, super tragic situation there. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, people are becoming a little bit more familiar uh, with Walt Harris. Now, I don't think this is what people want. Uh, I don't think this is what Walt Harris wants to be known for. Right. Um, but, he, I mean, he, you know, he speaks openly about it and kind of what it's done, you know, um, for him and his mentality. But, I mean, yeah, it's a super, super uh, tragic incident when it comes to, to all of that. I mean, and I don't, you know, I don't want to be so callous about it. Like, I don't know if that impacts the handicapping of the fight at all. You know, like, does he play with a heavy heart? Is he doing it for his daughter? You know, we've seen everything yeah. from Isaiah Thomas go out and drop 50 after his sister passed, right, to people playing with a heavy heart. Now, I'm not sure how it relates when people I, are trying to yeah. face. You know what I mean? Right. But what do you think is going to go on in this fight? Because I do see that Harris is still a minus 155, 160 mm -hmm. kind of favorite in this one. Yeah, and I think again, I don't remember the exact timeline, but we might be. He might. He's. I think he's had fights like since all of that. Okay. Um, and he's. And he now he's. He's on a a little bit of a win streak here, coming off one of the crazier knockouts I think in in UFC's history. Uh, his most recent fight was a twelve second knockout of uh, our guy Olenek, who uh, had the big upset over of Verdum Verdum in that split decision on UFC two forty nine. So he hits him with a knee, cracks him with a left, and the way Olenek falls breaks his leg. Breaks his leg while getting knocked out because he fell and his leg, like, snapped underneath him. Miserable. But that's like, you know, Walt Harris has that kind of power. And Alistair Overeem has been around for a long time, man. And Overeem, on his last fight, was actually fighting Rosenstrike, who we saw uh, go up against Nganu for not very long. And Overeem's going, going, going. He's winning the whole fight. And then with, like, 10 seconds left, gets knocked out. Overeem's just been around so long that I think the power of Walt Harris here is enough to stop what has been the most consistent trend so far of the UFC's return. Main event dogs cashing two for two so far since we've come back. So trying to buck the trend here with Walt Harris. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. All right, we are back on the early line right here on Sports Grid. We were talking about UFC Fight Night, which takes place later tonight back in Jacksonville, right, Kevin? We're in the same stadium. We're in the same arena. You know, this is kind of Florida has proven now to be the hub for combat sports. They opened up because they want the action. It looks like the state of Arizona is opening up as well to the sports world. So maybe in the future, we'll see more and more events happening in those state limits. But we were talking about the kind of co-main events for Fight Night. You do think Walt Harris 
is a deserving mm -hmm. favorite. He's going off at about 155, 160. What do you think about the co-main event? It seems you also are into the favorite there. Yeah, Claudia Gadalia is just to be kind of another level of a fighter. Uh, than Angela Hill, you can. See, I think her her price is justified. Now that to me though, it's a lot. Gadelia though is a decision machine. I mean, every single ah. fight is just a decision. It's just a decision. So Gadelia by points is minus one hundred five. So to me, you know, if you're picking her at minus two twenty five, you're. I mean, you're you're expecting a decision victory. So bringing that down to minus one hundred five is a lot uh, easier for me to digest, especially because one of the things here that I, I do kind of want to see play out. Angela Hill's been very very active. Since okay. like 2019, I mean, I, she's she's almost up to like 10 fights. She's had two fights in 2020, which yeah. for like right. considering where we are, yeah, like very very active. And I just I wonder if at, that at all could play in. I mean, Gadelia is more so just on her normal schedule every six months or so. Um, I think this layoff's a little bit longer, but she's not like thrown off by her layoff. I just wonder if Hill's activity could maybe like uh, you know give her something, but not enough for me to put it down on her. I think Gadelia. Um, by this again, it's it's minus 105. That's not bad. Okay, yeah, I mean it's much better than minus 225 right, to get right. overall in the fight, right? So sometimes yeah. to get a little bit of a shorter number, we go a little bit deeper and get it by decision. But it seems like that's interesting. Uh, li listen, uh, I always ask you for a dog. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, we look at these because, you know, the minus 200s, the minus 150s, sure. that's cool and all. And maybe I'll throw three or four of them together in a parlay. But, you know, if I put four in a parlay, I'm going to go three and one there and ultimately oh. not hit. Right. But yeah. I'm looking for plus money. And it found, it seems like you found the spot in the fight that goes off right before that one with Dan Iggy. Yeah, Dan Iggy and Edson Barbosa should be a very, very exciting fight here. Edson Barbosa is making uh, the move down from 155 to 145. So um, everyone, you know, kind of make sure that obviously you want to see how he looks coming into it. But he's coming off a tough run at lightweight, losing four of five. It was a necessary move for him. Dan Iggy's on a five-fight win streak, uh, and he's been looking pretty good here. I think so this how is kind of... If he's on a five-fight win streak, how is he still the dog in this fight? Edson Barbosa was like the 11th ranked lightweight. He's got a lot of... I mean, he's been around a long time. He's got a lot of impressive stuff under his belt. And I'm sure that there are some people... Who, this is the trickiest part, I think, maybe, uh, of trying to cap MMA, Dane, is when people start moving weight classes. Right. Okay, does the power translate, or are they too slow? Is the weight cut too much on them, or is this maybe where they should have been fighting the whole time? And I think as people try and find those variables, Edson Barbosa is a bigger name than uh, Dan Iggy. But I think this is a nice shot here with a dog that's riding hot up against a guy who's having to make a move down in weight. I think plus 114 or so is a very, very fair price for Iggy. All right, fair enough. So we'll lock that in onto our card here for UFC Fight Night. Now, I know that there's some times where you pick a fighter, right? And you can pick a fighter to win or pick a fighter to win by decision or knockout. But sometimes another way to skin the cat Kevin, is whether the fight will go the distance or not. And I know there's a couple of fights on this card, one where you do think it will go the distance and ultimately be decided by the judges, and one where you do not think it will go the distance and it'll end either in a knockout or a yeah. stoppage of some sort, right? What are the fights that you think will and will not go the distance? And explain why also, um, Kevin, if you can, why do you think that sometimes is a good bet instead of, like, the fighter, especially given the styles of the fighters? If you got two strikers, maybe it ain't going the distance. So, actually, I think uh, Joko versus Anders is maybe the perfect 
uh, kind of example as to why I'd rather just bet this fight to go the distance. Let's just start by that saying it will go the distance. Let's be yeah, clear. Yeah, that it, that it will, go, will the go the distance. Okay. Uh, so for me, one of the takeaways that I've had from the two UFC uh, events that we've been given so far uh, in these times is I even more uh, fear a decision. There's just mm. it just seems like there's always something a little off, like a, a 30-27 that you can't. I mean, the best right. example is one judge thinking it's 30-27 for Carla Esparza on Saturday and one judge thinking it was 30-27 for Michelle Waterson. Th that gap is almost right. impossible to achieve in a fight. So that, to me, makes me very cautious. For some of these fights that are meant to go a decision, I need a gap like the one that I believe exists between Claudia Gedalia and Angela Hill, right? To where I can feel confident. But I also wouldn't want to lay that minus 225. If I think it's going to go to a decision, let's get creative. And that's how we find our minus 105 price here. Here's the interesting thing uh, with Joko and Anders as I kind of just go through, uh, you know, they're, they're both very much so finding themselves in uh, decisions. Uh, four of six have gone to a decision for Joko. Two of them have been splits. And in his UFC career overall, seven of his 12 fights have gone to a decision with three of those being splits. Uh, and then for Anders, five of his nine have gone to a decision. Three of those have been split decisions. They're both coming off split decisions. I have no interest in betting either of these guys to win. They mm. like, I would love a split decision prop if I could find it. I, I, I didn't see it. At the FanDuel Sportsbook, sometimes uh, we know, Dane, as we get closer to shows, odds will open up a little bit. Yeah, they'll bit. put other things on the board, yeah. You can get some more options. Maybe it could be different at other books. Maybe uh, there's some other places where you could see that as okay. an option um, at a, maybe a, a, you know, a nice plus money price. But this fight to go the distance, which I would say all signs point to considering these two guys, is only minus 140. I think it is hmm. your best bet for this fight. Okay, and that's interesting because the favorite in this one, Joko, is minus 160. Yep. So the idea that, you know, that this will, in fact, just go to the scorecards, you can get at a shorter number. There's another fight, the one that goes off right before it, though. You yeah. don't think there's any way that's going the full distance, right, in uh, Yadam versus Vera? Yeah, I think this is the fight. Um, may maybe it'll be the best fight on the card. We saw uh, for the past fight night, a lot of people said that about Dober versus Hernandez, and it did deliver, uh, I would say, to that degree. And I think this one uh, could be a similar situation. So uh, Yadong uh, had won four straight in the UFC, but he's now coming off of a majority draw. Uh, and he had finishes in three of those four victories. So right there to me, for a guy who, you know, he's finishing people, he's putting them away, all of a sudden now he goes to the judges, a majority draw. Sometimes for a fighter, you're like, not a chance. We are, we're not going to the judges. Like, I'm, I'm here for a finish. Well, he's got the perfect dance partner in Marlon Vera, who's on a five-fight uh, win streak. All of those fights, uh, he has won by finish. It's minus 126 for this fight not to go the distance, which I think is, uh, is, is worth the play here. I think both of these guys are going to come out looking to bang, uh, looking right. to, to really, really get after it, to, you know, push the pace here. And, you know, I also spoke to, you know, some people that I do, again, I trust their, their UFC picks. And some people thought that as a dog here, because I know you like your dogs, Dan. When yeah, you get I do. Them, uh, that Vera is worth the, lot, worth the look here. Okay. Uh, again, five fight win streak, all five finishes. That's, you know, what it, so, some submissions, some, some knockouts. That's impressive stuff. And, and I'm not uh, at all. Uh, against getting on him a as a dog here. But my favorite bet from this specific fight is it for it to not go the distance.
All right, fair enough. You mentioned Vera as a dog at plus 150. Seems like he may be live, but ultimately the best bet is that someone's getting someone's getting knocked out or submitting or tapping out in this one. The judges need not apply. One other fight that I know you want to give uh, give out to our listeners, our viewers, our fans out there, our followers, is the idea of the Miguel Beza fight, right? But he's going off at minus 175, minus 180. And so, again, maybe you don't want to lay that much juice, but you can get the method of victory as well, and that's the kind of pond you're fishing in here, right, Kev? Yeah, so Baeza is uh, one of these up-and-comers. He's 8-0 in, uh, in his fights. Uh, only two of them, I guess, are considered professional fights, though. He okay. had a fight on the Contender Series where, you know, Dana White looks for someone to give a contract. The reality show, right? Yeah. Got that contract and then won by knockout in his UFC debut. He goes up against a guy who's on the complete other side um, of, of the story here, Matt Brown, who's 39 years old. He's mm. been around forever. Um, now, I think Brown is on a two-fight win streak, but more importantly, uh, six straight Matt Brown fights um, have been finishes. The ah. thing is, like, Matt Brown is not there to ground and pound nothing. Like, we're, we're here to throw. Someone's getting finished. It might be me. It might be you. But that's what's going to happen. And in the six of the eight uh, fights that Baez has had, uh, he's won six of those by finish. He just... It looks like he's also the bigger guy. Like sometimes, like you might be like, oh, like the younger guys. He, you know, he's he's like 27, 28 years old by Aza, so he's still like an adult very much. So you know what I mean? Like this isn't some like 22 yeah. year 22 year old kid. Uh, he's also got one of the best nicknames I would probably say uh, being offered. Me. Caramel Thunder. Are you kidding me? Oh, I imagine. Imagine betting against Caramel Thunder could not be me. Uh, right. So I think that by Aza to not. I need that on a road. I Absolutely. need that on a robe somewhere. Absolutely. Or every time I walk into a room, I need someone just saying, and now entering Caramel Thunder. But anyway, one, I, No, I couldn't <laughs> agree more. I think he should come out in a real, like, one of those Ric Flair robes. Exactly. Ding. Ravishing um, Rick Rude action. Exactly. But, yeah, so to me, uh, I think Baeza by knockout here uh, is worth the look. If you wanted to get even, and it's, and it's plus money. Again, like, I think this is, I right, think it's really. Thing. Going from a minus, like, 170 or whatever it is to plus money if you get the method of victory. Yeah, I think for me, like, that is one of the things that I, you know, because you're playing money lines, and it's hard to, you know, Matt Brown's been around so long. He's such a veteran. Could I see Matt Brown getting it done? He could get it done. My, I don't, I'm not minus 178 confident in Baez. I do think he's going to win the fight, but I think he's going to win it by knockout. So let's bring this thing down to plus right. 125. And if you want to get cute with it, I think it's around plus 300 or so for Baez to finish it in that first round. And I'm not, I'm not against it. Okay, fair enough. So to recap here, we got a UFC fight night tonight, and Kevin, we have your, your, you know, your full card up on the screen right now. So Baeza, but by knockout, you like the Yadong Vera fight to not go the distance. Someone's going down or tapping out in that one. Joko versus Anders, however, you think will go to the judges' scorecards. As a dog, you like Iggy in the main event. You like Walt Harris and think he is a deserving favorite. And then you're giving me a decision in the co-main event, correct? Decision victory for Claudia Gadelia. There you go. So there is the card tonight. Check it out. UFC Fight Night. And let's see if we can get a little bit of extra cash going into the rest of the weekend. When we come back, here's what we're going to do, okay? That's what's going on on Saturday night. On Sunday night, though, there's a couple of things also happening. One that's live sports that we're going to be able to talk about, and another one that we know you guys have been glued to the set for the better part of the last month. We got a golf charity event that we'll touch on, and then also, listen, tomorrow night is the finale 
of the 10-part docuseries, The Last Dance, about Michael Jordan and the last ride of the Chicago Bulls. We've talked about it a little bit. We're going to get into kind of our highlights, our takeaways, and what we expect in the final episodes. We'll do that on the other side of the break, and we'll also touch on this golf event that is happening to raise money for COVID-19 as well. Come on back. We're going to be talking about it. It's the early line right here on SportsGrid. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. All right, everybody, we are back on the early line right here on SportsGrid. I'm Dane, he's Kevin, and we were talking to you before about, you know, how you can make a little bit of extra money on a Saturday night on UFC Fight Night. You got Kevin's picks and plays there for the card. But now, Kev, we turn our attention to ways you can make money on Sunday as well. And this is the thing. We are starting to get live sports out here, right? So it's not like we're talking about futures bets or the NFL draft where these players won't play for another five months. We're talking about a UFC card that's happening tonight. And we're also going to give you a little bit of insight on a golf event that is happening tomorrow night. And Kevin, I think this is good. You know, we've seen all sorts of like benefit concerts, right, to raise money for COVID-19 relief or research, what have you, in our hurt hunt for a vaccine and hunt to, uh, you know, help people that are obviously dealing with this horrible disease. And tomorrow, what we are going to see is uh, called Driving Relief 2020. All right, this is a golf event. It's going to be Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson on one side, right? Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf on the other. But here's what I think is interesting. We're talking about big money. All right, Kevin, this is like a skins game, okay? So both teams are going to start with half a million dollars. Okay, and then the first six holes, holes one through six, whichever team wins, another 50 large is going to be added to their total. Okay, Mm -hmm. then hole seven through 16, another hundred thousand dollars for every hole. Okay, so obviously these teams, you know, their bank accounts are going to grow again. This is all going to charity for the pandemic and research or relief for coronavirus. The 17th hole, 200K on just that hole. And then the 18th hole will feature a half a million dollars for that hole, whichever team does that. I mentioned who the teams are, right? So on one side, you got McElroy and DJ. On the other side, you got Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf. The side that is McElroy and Dustin Johnson, technically, if you want to bet this, is at minus 195. But truth be told, Kevin, in an event like this, we're all winners, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is great. And I also... I remember when we talked about the golf, uh, you know, the goat golf game, right? The Peyton Brady Tiger uh, Phil game. I was like, yep, that's happening yeah, I, as well. I was, and I was like, well, it's just, it's a big deal to get like famous athletes back. And I mean, these are like some of the biggest names in golf, right? Like, this is going to be well played golf for sure. And I'm happy for, you know, I'm not the biggest golf fan, to be honest with you. Um, but for those that are, um, you know, I know that that's, you know, I know that we've got some people here working on the early line that are excited to maybe yeah. do some golf and uh, coming up. And I, you know, I know Cam Stewart. I used to, we used to talk about golf all the time on In Game Live. I'm sure he's, 
I'm sure he's smiling ear to ear. I think it's cool. Now, I'll tell you this. I might be a complete fool, but I'd take the dog. I think that price that you just listed there has been climbing up. Uh, plus 185 for the dogs. Uh, no, excuse me, for Driving Relief. It's plus 145 for Fowler and Wolf. Yeah, McElroy and Dustin Johnson are at minus 195. For the match, what you were talking about, the Tiger and yeah. Phil, they're bringing in uh, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. It's going to be Tiger and Peyton together, okay? And they're technically the big favorites. And yeah. Mickelson is with Brady. They're at plus 185. And I think that's because Tom Brady is easily the worst of the four. But go I, ahead. I, in general. I, I thought that Brady would be better than Peyton. No, but I'm saying I'd take the plus money dog with uh, the DJ Fowler and all, all them. Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf at plus 145. My, my, here's, here's, my, here's my groundbreaking golf analysis, people. You'll get this nowhere else. I don't know who Matt Wolf is. So I think that people, right, could be more similar to me, right? Because they're like, oh, I know the other two. So here comes Matt Wolf to steal the day. I'm be- I, I bet on Matt Wolf because I don't know who he is. That's my analysis. That's that contrarian play, and that's going to be going down, of course, at the Seminole Golf Club. So, listen, you if you want something to watch, there will be live sports going on tomorrow in the afternoon. I believe it's 2 to 6 o'clock Eastern. It'll be on NBC. It'll be on the Golf Channel. It'll be on NBC Sports. It'll be everywhere. So if you want to see some live golf. And you know what else? I always call it – I call it weather porn. Kevin, you know, because in the middle of the winter time, right, it's all cold here in New York, snow is on the ground. I turn on golf and they have these beautiful vistas, you know, these palm trees, lush greenery everywhere. And I'm like, ah, yes, that's what I would like to see. And I think this, it holds true when I'm still stuck at home. I know you are as well, still quarantined here on pause in New York City. But here's the thing maybe you want to check that out Sunday afternoon, tomorrow afternoon. But tomorrow night, Kevin, I know that there is some appointment TV that we are going to talk about. And it's the last dance, right? You know, to the point, Kevin, about being the only game in town, if you remember, the last dance was supposed to air on ESPN in like late June, early July. And that was supposed to coincide right around the NBA finals, right? When they thought basketball, all the fans would be talking basketball. But now, during the pandemic, they moved up the airing, right? And with it being the only game in town, I think a lot of people have been watching this docuseries and also, you know, kind of taking away the differences in what the league was like and what the game was like there in the 90s versus what it is now. I know you didn't necessarily love uh, MJ not giving uh, the glove Gary Payton yeah. his due, right, in a previous episode. I got to tell you something. The biggest takeaway for me, and then I want to hear other things for you, the biggest takeaway for me I actually don't think Scottie Pippen looks too good in this. Um, I think that, you know, you say that this is backed by Jordan, a production, and they're going to, you know, care about the narrative or the perception of Michael Jordan. I think Scottie looks bad in this. I'll point to a few things. One, as you saw in the last few episodes, you know, when he refused to enter the game against the Knicks with 1.8 seconds, I remember that, okay? It was the late 90s. I was a teenager and a Knicks fan. I completely remember that. He had egg on his face for that one, even though Coach ultimately hit the shot and they won that game. The Knicks did get past them in that series. But the other thing, and this has been kind of a narrative for the entire series, Scottie Pippen needed surgery in the offseason. Yeah. decide, nah, 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 because I'm in the middle of a contract dispute. I'm going to enjoy my summer, yeah. get the surgery right up against the season, which I know would mean that I miss a third or a half of the season coming off a championship, yeah. you know, um, 
and literally to use it kind of as a negotiating ploy, and it almost compromised the season. You know, that team was lucky that, you know, Dennis Rodman stepped up, right, and really filled that void. But I don't think he looks good there. And then remember, all the way back at the beginning, when the Bulls thought they had the Pistons before they overtook them and climbed that mountain. Remember the migraine game? Right, where Pitt, where Pippen didn't play in that one. So he asked out of a game. He had the migraine. I guess that's a kind of an unfortunate thing. But I think this narrative with his contract dispute is a real thread of the entire docuseries. And I don't think it makes Scottie Pippen look good. And then in the last one, even with all that context, he said he would do it all over again. I thought that was weird. And everyone's talking about the image of Michael Jordan. I actually think it's the image of Scottie Pippen that's taking a hit. So I'll tell you, one of my favorite things about this documentary has been the overwhelming evidence that allows to laugh at the hypocrisy that has been the older generation taking shots at the newer generation. Go Are ahead. you kidding me? Are you kidding me, dude? Kawhi Leonard can't play back-to-back. Scotty Pippen said, I didn't want to F up my summer so I didn't get surgery. He, he Stop, said, man. Like, he, like just, Dennis Rodman needed a vacation, a weekend in Vegas. That's what I'm talking about. The like, season, like, talk about load like, management, right? Exactly what I'm saying. Like, so just, it just, stop. Just stop with this new generation, old generation stuff. With that being said. But the game this, was more physical then. It just was, though, Kevin. Okay? Let me back no. up, you know, and kind of take up the flag here for this quote-unquote older sure. generation. It was also the worse. It was a lot more physical, a lot more half court, and these dudes didn't like each other. They were not going on banana boats together and being guests at each other's weddings. Okay, but also, this is the thing, right? That is a bit convoluted. Like, Magic and Isaiah Thomas for sure kissed before an NBA Finals game. Michael Jordan's closest friends were for sure Magic and Larry Bird, right? Like, that's all real. And this is, it was one of the, like, even from the last episode, when they had the big workouts on the Space Jam thing, they had to twist it to where Michael was getting a head up on the competition and seeing who could do what moves. Oh, shut up! You're practicing out. You're working out together. Stop it. Like, it's it's okay, man. It's okay. Iron sharpens iron. Like, yeah. not everything has to be this crazy angle about how competitive you are. With well, that I mean, being that said. is the narrative, right, though? I, I mean, know, I know, I know, I know what we're doing. Bulls practices, gambling on the flight. Oh, there was even fine. that segment, right, like the security guy, like chucking coins up against the man. Right I love that dude. R.I.P. to the legend. That dude's <laughs> the best. We're to hit him with a mean shrug. I love that guy. <laughs> right, that he shrugs. Uh, yeah, that dude's the best. But I'll say, in terms of the Scottie Pippen stuff, it goes yeah. both ways. Because, like, the... The sitting out in that moment thing is like, dude, you got to be kidding me, right? But it's also, you can easily tell what's going through his mind there. Like, he'd never do that to Michael. And I know I'm not Michael, but I'm stepping up for Michael right now. And if it wasn't for me, we'd be in no man's land. And here we are competing. I, now, okay. I, I think Michael embraced it, though. You know, at some level, remember, there was an evolution in Michael's game about trying to be the man and then embracing, say, the triangle. They make a big deal out of dishing it to oh, Paxton, yeah. dishing it to Kerr, right? So the idea that he's not always making, that was part of MJ's evolution. I think, I think Pippen was in his head. You know what I mean? I think, I think Pippen was very in his head. And in terms of the summer thing, you know what, man? They're out there. I mean, he's the clearly the, the like, Best value contract in the league. They refused to. Not only will they not take care of him. That was timing, you know. No, hundred percent. But not only will they not take care of him, Cross is like, I think I want to get rid of him. Hey, guess what? Me too, man. You you spit in my face twice. Like double down on spitting in my face. I think that's really tough. I think ultimately, for me, one of the, the the big takeaways is really just understanding how much talent these Bulls teams had. Right. Like 
Horace Grant is not someone you talk about as one of the best players of that era, but very obviously, like, was the the third member of the big three during that first run before Rodman got there, went to Orlando, and Orlando goes well, right. to the NBA Finals. Like, th- like you know what I mean? Like, and, and even Pippen, sure. just in terms of the talent that Pippen, like, Pippen was during that stretch, and by the way, he didn't take off for two years, right, was a top five dude in the league. Absolutely. And people, like, don't talk about that enough. Well, he even got to be on the All-NBA 50 Greatest of All Time that they did at the end of the millennium, you know? And people always see him as the Robin, but absolutely he has that skill set. I want to get your thoughts on one or two more people. Uh, One is Phil Jackson, you know, because he, as the kind of architect, the Zen master of this all, you know, we talk about now how coaches have to handle divas or different personalities, whether it's Freddie Kitchens, right, or whether it's Steve Kerr now with the Warriors, whether it's coaches who have to handle LeBron. But Phil, in a kind of artful way, and then you even get his feedback. He's like, yeah, we know we needed to let Dennis have a weekend, you know, or no, I wasn't pissed off that Scotty was trying to, you know, stick it to Jerry Krause. I really thought we saw how the Zen master came to be as well in this series. Oh, for sure. I mean, me today would love to smack young me who thought he had a cool take. Phil was terrible, man. He had Kobe, MJ, Shaq. This guy wouldn't do it. That was a that was a terrible take. This right. guy, Phil, was great. I mean, you saw it in the to years. manage all left. of this. Like, Freddie Kitchens couldn't manage Odell Beckham and Baker just, Mayfield. You know, and you the know? thing is, though, I think even for people who are high on Phil, they'd be like, ah, but he knew how to manage personalities. He's also a great coach, man. I yes. mean, he took he took that Bulls team to a whole nother level, dude. It, it was very, very obvious with that, with the triangle offense and what have you. So give Phil his credit. The Knicks stuff, not great. But the Bulls stuff, the Lakers stuff, all that. Oh, yeah. Obviously, one of the greatest ever. Absolutely. Well, it was a very interesting docuseries. We're going to see the finale tomorrow night. We'll talk about it a little bit more next week. We, again, dive into our roster resets, and it looks like more sports are going to be playing, and we are excited about that. Hey, Dennis Rodman, take me to Vegas next time with Carmen Electra. I'm down for that kind of load management myself. But in any event, we'll see you guys on Monday. I'm Dane. He's Kevin. This is another edition of The Early Line. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com.